Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 128 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 28th, 2010. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Coming up, Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We've got a lot lot of questions from you uh, about the USC football program. We're going to talk with Dan Weber from uscfootball.com and a special guest, Dan Rubenstein from si.com and the... the, uh, Solid Verbal Podcast. He's another podcast out there talking about college football. We're going to have him on talking all about the USC situation. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And as always, we love to talk to the coach in the first segment. Coach Harvey Hyde, how you doing, sir? Ryan, how are you, buddy? It's great to have uh, be with you and uh, talk uh, Trojan football or Trojan athletics and Again, I want to thank all of the uh, people out there who have been sending in uh, questions and so on, and we'll do our very best today to answer those questions, Ryan. We certainly will, Coach. And uh, I just want to thank everyone, thank our sponsor for this segment and remind everyone, if you need tickets, Southern California Tickets is a great place to go, sctickets.com. Give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for concerts, sporting events, the theater, any of that stuff, check out sctickets.com. And Coach... Another busy off-season week. We do have fall camp just one week away, so we've got some football to talk about pretty soon, which is a nice thing. Uh, but we do have a lot of football questions to go to today. just want to maybe first get your comments on the hiring of Kennedy Pola from the Tennessee Titans, and he's going to be USC's running back coach and offensive coordinator. Well, uh, let me tell you, Lane Kiffin certainly is doing the right thing as far as surrounding himself around great coaches. And I think that one thing people have to understand your assistant coaches and your supporting cast is what makes coaches great. Players, first of all, coaches, secondly. When you have a great coaching staff, a, a staff that what he has assembled is a staff that not only can coach, but they can recruit. And remember, in college football, you don't draft your players, you recruit your players, which gives you a great advantage over the NFL because the NFL, you just get one first-round player. But if you're a great recruiting football staff, you get 25 normally first-round players. So I think that's the thing that Pete Carroll did right when he first came to, uh, to USC and, and brought a very powerful staff and a very powerful recruiting staff that could coach those players into national championships. And I think he, Lane Kiffin hasn't forgotten that. And bringing uh, Kenny Pola to USC brings tradition. It brings someone that knows about USC uh, the Southern California knows who Kenny Pola is. He's a great recruiter. He's a great coach. He brings a lot of enthusiasm, and he can't wait to come home. And, 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 you know, when you say coming home, I mean coming back to Southern California, but also coming back and coaching at USC. I think that really rounds out a great coaching staff. Uh, I just think that Lane Kiffin has done a tremendous job of putting together a great staff and going through what he's gone through so far and still be able to keep the recruits that he's recruited, and still also be able to get great coaches there, and then get ready to camp and have all this controversy surround him since he's gotten there, I think it's going to be uh, a tr- oh, Let's just say this. I, I give him a lot of credit for being able to focus, stay focused, and do what's important, and that's have great coaches and great players. All right, Coach. Well, our first question's about Kennedy Pola, and he's JC wants to know, since you were previous head coach, do you think when Lane Kiffin hired Pola, it was actually a real cause to upset Jeff Fisher, or was this blown out of proportion? Do you think that Fisher had anything to do with the lawsuit, or was it just more of the non-whimsical whining coming from the folks in Tennessee? What do you think about well, all that, Coach? Well, well, first of all, I can certainly understand. I have to say this. I can certainly understand how Jeff Fisher feels. I mean, here you are going to camp, and you're a week away from starting your NFL season, and 
and you lose your running back coach. Okay, and and that and that I've had that happen to me, and it, it, it isn't really. It isn't that you get so mad uh, as far as losing coaches. It's when you lose your coaches, and it's very difficult to prepare. You've had all your meetings. You have, you've had your off-season workouts. You've done all this. And all of a sudden, uh, one of your coaches are gone. So you try to adjust your staff. You say, what are we going to do? Who are we going to hire? Who's going to go to camp and coach these positions? So I can understand how Jeff Fisher is upset. And I really don't know the behind-the-scenes uh, of what really happened uh, as far as the hiring of the coach. I mean, I, I just can't believe that Kenny Pola or Lane Kiffin or somebody didn't talk to somebody at the Tennessee Titans to let him know that there's a possibility that he might leave. But if that's the fact, that's the fact. And as far as the suit and so on, I don't think Jeff Fisher has anything to do with the suit at all. I don't think SC, Jeff Fisher's a Trojan. He isn't going to sue USC. I think he's upset about it. I think more or less it's an ego thing that's happened with the Tennessee Titans, and they've joined the bandwagon of how the state of Tennessee feels about Lane Kiffin and think they've gained popularity by saying we're not going to take it any longer. The state is upset. We're going to sue you. We're going to sue Lane Kiffin. We're going to sue USC. But, you know, I think uh, Bill Plasky said it the best in today's article in the Los Angeles Times, if you're going to sue over somebody, you couldn't sue over a better coach in the hiring of Kenny Polis. So I think it'll all go away. And um, if they try to sue for anything, it's going to be for tampering or I don't know if Kenny Pola had a, a contract or whatever. They're probably looking maybe for a little compensation as far as, you know, uh, to get some money back from it or something. But, you know, Time marches on. If you start looking at that and talking about that all the time, and Fisher's not going to be involved in that, he's got to get his team ready to play. And so does Lane Kiffin. That'll all be handled by the attorneys and whoever. And the media needs things to write about. So it's great to write about that and, you know, talk about that for a while. But that'll all go away. As soon as camp starts, those things will be in the past. Yeah, you know, the coach... In his contract, apparently, he was supposed to get written permission if anyone was going to contact him about a job, and that's what didn't happen. It's funny that the lawsuit didn't even include Kennedy Pola. He was the one that broke his contract, so it does seem more of like a political ploy. And that, you know, just kind of the state of Tennessee, there's not a lot of uh, admiration, I guess, between Vol fans, Tennessee Vol fans, and the Titans. There's some animosity between those two groups. I think this was one way that the Titans could reach out to Tennessee Vol fans. And if you kind of you spit on Lane Kiffin, you're okay in the Tennessee Vol fans. Mind. So I think that's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of politics going on there. I, I'm not, I don't think this lawsuit is going to go through, but we'll end up seeing what happens. Um, we had a question on the media guide and uh, USC did come out with some news today. They wanted to know that the media guide is full of old news and people no longer there. Are they going to scrap it? And they actually changed the cover of the media guide, Coach. It had seven Heismans on the front, a picture of Lane Kiffin and all the different, uh, some of the history of USC football. Used to say seven Heismans. Now they changed it. Now it says six. So that's at least one step. And they've, they've definitely made some steps inside the media guide as well. It's kind of a shame, Coach, to see that happen. Uh, I agree with you. Here's a kid that really worked hard as far as uh, producing on the field and the, tro- tro- you know, I don't think any of the off-the-field incidents had to do with his football play, and he certainly deserved the Heisman Trophy, I feel. But uh, USC has decided to give it back and say that uh, since Reggie was involved in, in or supposedly involved in all of these infractions and so on, that, that they don't feel that uh, he's worthy uh, and the school is worthy of having the trophy. So they've uh, sent the trophy back. I think it's a very difficult situation. I think it's hard... Uh, on Reggie Bush, it's hard on USC, and it's hard on the tradition of USC because of the number of Heisman trophies they've been able to win. I didn't, you know, I hated to see that happen, but I understand what they're trying to do as far as disconnect themselves from the past and try to satisfy the NCAA and people as far as trying to clean themselves up for the appeal so that they try to get some type of consideration on this appeal when it comes up. I doing by listing all of the things that have happened at USC to try to correct some of the infractions and things that had happened, hoping that maybe they'll get some of their scholarship numbers reduced to possibly five or six or so on, or something that could help them as far as uh, in the future of USC Trojan football. But uh, I hated to see that happen. 
it was done. It was a university decision, and uh, I have nothing to say about that. I don't think anyone does. It was done by the probably it went as high as I bet you it went as high as the trustees on that type of decision. Bobby came down from the top. I don't think any one person made that decision. I think it was a school administration uh, decision, and uh, I guess they boxed it up and sent it back. And I knew and I heard that they were going to take uh, all the things out of the media guy regarding Reggie Bush and put an asterisk next to it so people understood uh, exactly what had happened. They also took his jersey down, as far as I understand, in the Coliseum, so his jersey won't be uh, in the end zone as it was in the past. So it's a difficult penalty on the university. It's a difficult time for the university here during the football season uh, with the things that have happened and, and the sending back of the Heisman Trophy and so on. But the university, I feel, is just trying to clean up as much as it can to regroup and rebuild the athletic department and continue with the success that the people are normally used to. All right, Coach. Well, next up, we got a question on the sanctions. Since USC will be starting their sanctions this season, are the players still eligible to win awards? What do you think, Coach? I think they should be, and I think they will be. I don't think you can take away a person's performance. These kids that are playing currently right now had nothing to do with any of the infractions, and if they've already taken away the opportunity of going to a bowl game. If someone's to say that a kid rushes for 1,000 yards this year or throws for 2,000 yards or whatever, and he can't be all league or all American, and that's that's ridiculous. I don't I don't go along with that at all, and I publicly say that now. Why punish someone that had nothing to do with it? And if he had a tremendous year, then he should be rewarded for that. I don't think that anyone could uh, feel as though that this team's players that are seniors and juniors that had nothing to do with the infraction period should be penalized in that type of manner. I think they've already been penalized where they can't go to a bowl game and so on. So I, I don't think that'll happen. I would, I would, I would rip on that really good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the NCAA seems to be able to pull stuff out of their, their hat whenever they want to, but that's not something that we've ever heard. So it does, you know, if you could be, you know, Matt Barkley could still be all pac 10 quarterback. You know, the only thing they can't do, is go to a ball game, but thanks for that one, Lawrence. And uh, yeah, so USC, you can still root for the Trojans. They can still win all their games. They can still win awards. So there's a lot they can do. It just won't be going to a bowl game. Uh, got a good question here from Guy Coach. This is a football question, actually, which is nice since there've been so many coaching questions and athletic director questions and section questions. Um, he wants to know really how will Monty Kiffin handle the spread offense because the two Kellys. Skip Kelly of Oregon, Brian Kelly of Notre Dame. We're definitely going to use it. We've had trouble with it in the past. But he said Monty did do a good job against Urban Meyer last year for an undermanned Vols team. And in Guy's opinion, he went from a 4-3 base D to something like a 5-2 where there was an extra defensive lineman. You had a nose tackle, two deep defensive tackles, and two kind of stand-up defensive ends with two roving linebackers. Basically, they used that kind of formation, according to Guy, on uh, – obvious running downs and really it was a way to kind of combat both ball carriers because you'd have to stop the running back obviously and you have to stop the quarterback um so just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what monty kiffin could do against the spread offense here in the pack 10 well i'll tell you that's basically uh, what he'll do again because what you do is you have an extra linebacker and so on and and uh, in fact if you if you remember the rose bowl game this year Ohio State played exactly that type of defense against the University of Oregon and actually took Mazzoli right out of the game. They didn't give him any options. They played at home. They played shoulders. They read. They knocked. They, there wasn't any option. If the guy came your way, you just knocked him down. You didn't care if he had the ball or not. And they took Mazzoli completely out of the game. He didn't have a great game, and Oregon lost that game. Yet they still were in the game to have a chance to win it. That fumble there in the last part, I think it was the fourth quarter, that rolled it through the end zone, or they recovered it, really cut off their chances of winning that football game. But Ohio State, when they went into that game, said, hey, we can't stop all this stuff. If we try to stop, stop all this stuff, we're going to fool ourselves. What we've got to do is go back to our basic techniques, take care of our position, take care of our areas, play read, and take the guy that comes to us, and don't worry if he has the ball or not. And that's basically what Monty Kiffin believes in too is play basic technique football 
and take away an option. Don't make it an option. If you, if you tackle the back, whether he has the ball or not, it's not an option. If you tackle the quarterback, whether he has the ball or not, it's not an option. So you really don't have an option. And if you tackle the quarterback or go after the quarterback like he has the ball on the run, then it's very difficult for him to pass. And it forces them to roll out or sprint out to throw on the run, and it makes it more difficult. And you, and you sort of play a base defense where he doesn't, uh, you know, read your slants or read which, what's going on or try to hit your middle. or they, It's more difficult to do to do the doodad blocking and so on inside their, scre- screen or their schemes when you got linebackers back off the ball, reading through the linemen into the backfield so, and taking, their, taking their, their read. So I think he'll do a good job at it. He's seen it. He's seen it in the NFL. How about when you watch not basically it's not the Wildcat, but when you play – uh, Indiana, Peyton Manning is never high, uh, huddled. It's a fast off. It's throwing the ball. He reads the secondary, gets the signal, and, call, and throws the football. So he's seen these type of no-huddle offenses. The only difference is the quarterback runs more in college football than what you know Peyton Manning would run, and that's obviously uh, understandable. So, you know, Monty Kiffin's a, a guy that doesn't take a chance. He's a guy that takes away all the the things that a team wants to do first the best. If you take away the things a team wants to accomplish, then they're forced to do something else that really they don't want to do. And if you take away the run first in the Wildcat, then the play action doesn't need as much, and you get them in a position where they have to throw earlier, and it throws the rhythm off of, of the offense. And once you throw the rhythm off of the offense, the offense sort of shuts down, and the kids lose their confidence. So I really think uh, he'll play a base, and I think that he'll play almost the same type of defense that, of course, Urban Meyer ran. Why? He's the best at it. Kelly's real good at it, but he has good players. Oregon's real good at it because they have good players. Remember, you can run a lot of offenses, but if you don't have good players, it doesn't work. (laughs) That's a very good point. Those X's and O's do matter. It's not just where you put them. It's how fast they can get there and how big they are and stuff. So that's a good point, Coach. Um, One last thing. With, this is from Mark. It's more of a kind of comment, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, he recalls uh, Pat Hayden, the new athletic director, saying, indicating that he didn't believe USC um, was going to be able to return to the prominence they once enjoyed because of the location, the academic standards, and the current level of competition. This was back during the Paul Hackett era. Um, Mark is concerned that Pat Hayden could set the bar too low and it could be self-fulfilling and achieving low results. And obviously that it's changed a lot since Pete Carroll got there. I mean, he proved anyone that said that kind of thing wrong, that if you were worried about the standard, the academic standards or competition or location, or any of that, Pete Carroll proved you can win in that kind of environment. Uh, Mark's concerned that he doesn't want to go back to see the standards that were set back under Smith and Hackett. What are your, what are your uh, thoughts on all of that? Well, I don't think anybody wants to go back to that. And I really think that you can win like Pete Carroll won at USC, and you can continue to win like that at USC. I think that if you allow the program to drop down, if Pat Hayden and the administration allows it to drop down, I don't think people will be happy. I think it just, uh, uh, you know, remember, the athletic program at USC, especially football, is kicking off the entire school year with an attitude. You want your students to come back. You want your alumni to come back. You want them to fight for tickets. You want them to be there at homecoming. You want them want to brag about USC and how good they are. You want to be able to see the contributions continually roll in. And the way it starts is with morale and emotion, and that's college football. The Trojan football program has a lot to do with the success at USC. The bragging rights, uh, uh, the arrogance that you can have, when you win, and uh, I think that's just part of USC. The tradition of USC is, is football, along with the great academic programs that Sample brought to USC, which made them one of the highest-ranked academic schools in the country. But you can't forget either that USC has been successful in their academic side of the athletic programs. Their athletic department has been graduating their athletes. Their athletes have been being very successful as far as going on in college work and and becoming, you know, very successful in business and so on. I don't have the exact statistics, but I've heard 81% of the players graduate from USC. That's not an easy thing to happen. 
that's a very difficult thing to happen. I don't know if eight out of ten normal students that go to USC graduate. I really don't know that. But I know that in all the, most of the studies that I remember when I was coaching, there was a higher graduation rate among the athletic department than the normal student body. So, you know, everybody start, thinks a lot about athletes don't graduate or they don't get their academics. They do. You have a lot of, of, of student athletes that are great. To Brandon Hancock, uh, the great fullback that played at USC, during his entire college career, as his undergraduate work and he got his master's degree, only got one B plus in college. Every other grade was an A. Now, no one writes about that. No one talks about that. They just talk about the student athletes that maybe have, you know, that are eligible or something. So uh, there's a lot of student athletes that do great academic work, and there's some that struggle in every area. But you're giving people an opportunity, and you also have the support groups that give these student athletes an opportunity to achieve. And I think that's what it's all about. Give someone an opportunity to be in the college atmosphere and be at a great school like USC and compete with the academic standards of USC and still play with the college football program that USC has. I don't think that the college will allow or can allow the athletic department to drop down. I think they'll continually support the great coaches that are there. They have great coaches that are coaching Ron Alice, what he achieves in track and field and what's happening in the water polo programs, two NCAA championships this year in volleyball and golf and all these programs, uh, how can you have anything better? The school survives and, and gets excited about all of these things and wears the jerseys all over town and, and, and all of these things and tailgating and everything that's going on. Uh, it's just going to, it's going to a transition. It's going to a change. And everybody gets scared when things go through changes. But with the staff that they have now in, in, in the football department, Pat Hayden now at the leadership. In fact, Pat, Pat Hayden was the one that endorsed the hiring of Kenny uh, Pola. I mean, at least I don't know that, but I read that in the newspaper. But uh, this is this type of things that you see that are positive because when you hire these type of people and you still go out and recruit hard, then you got a chance. You can't get every great player, but you certainly attempt to, and you ter certainly attempt to graduate all of them and also have hope that they all have successful careers, both academically and athletically. All right, Coach. Well, thank you for that question, Mark, and thank you, Coach, for all the candid answers. We like them, as always. It's always fun to hear what you have to say. And, uh, yeah, we'll let you go this week and get back. You're on Catalina again, right? I'm there, but I'll be at Pac-10 Media Day tomorrow. All right, so we'll be down there. We'll see you at Pac-10 Media Day. Get your thoughts on all that going on. We could talk about that next week on the podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking more USC football with Dan Rubenstein. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a special guest. We haven't had one in a while. We have Dan Rubenstein. Uh, he was the original host of the SI Tour Guy series for SI.com, and he's a co-host of the Solid Verbal Podcast. It's a podcast bi-weekly that talks all about USC football. Apparently, he runs a 4340 and has done 43 reps of 225 pounds, so getting ready for the combine coming up. Dan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Ryan. And if, if you don't know, and I'm speaking to the listeners right now, Ryan did appear briefly in, well, it wasn't the SI tour guide back then. It was just the college football tour guide back then. But yes, we, we go way back. Yeah, that's how we uh, originally met there. And it was a lot of fun. And it was a cool, I don't know if anyone got to check out that feature on SI.com, but it was cool to go to the different, you know, you could travel around a little bit, see the different campuses, the tailgate environments. Yep. The, the talent, the local talent that was there, I guess you could say that would be a fair of course. way. And I was, it looked, seemed like it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, no, it was it was a ton of fun. As somebody that loves college football but hadn't been to too many places, I just sort of figured out how can I fool somebody into paying me a little bit of money into going to college football games and eating other people's food and drinking other people's booze. And it somehow miraculously worked. So I could not have imagined a better job, and now I'm just sort of trying to prolong. Yeah. So that everyone should get a sense of how smart Dan is then. If you, could, if you can take that <laughs> and get that and turn that into a money-making proposition, I think that's a really good thing. And, and now you guys are doing the uh, Solid Verbal podcast. You can check it out at solidverbal.com. And I know we have a lot of uh, podcast listeners on the Peristyle podcast that don't really – uh, they're not, you know, aficionados uh, or whatever you could say of podcasts. There's some people that love podcasts. They download them all day long and they listen to them all right. day on their iPod. And there's other people that you have a very specific thing you're talking about. And here it's USC and they like to listen to that. Um, but, right. I, you know, I've started I'm kind of in that category myself, but I'm starting to try to listen to more of those. And uh, I really enjoyed listening to yours. And I like that it comes out twice a week and get some good information in there you've talked to a whole bunch of different kind of guests how did that get started and and i guess you could talk about that you haven't even met your co-host before <laughs> yeah no that's true i've never met ty hildenbrandt who is the co-host uh, of the solid that started ty was writing for si while i was doing video and then we both started writing and then we actually wrote like a mailbag column together ty lives outside of philadelphia i've never met ty i've never seen where he lives or anything like that and we just we were emailing during the season and for an occupation for his profession. He deals with web stuff and he's podcasted before. And we decided since we hadn't really heard any college football podcast that we liked, uh, that we would start it and we do it over Skype and he records it professionally because he has uh, all this sort of professional equipment. And we decided we would just start talking college football news and he has the technology to patch in guests over the phone. So we'd invite all sorts of writers and this past spring we had coaches on and we just decided to, to pump out a bunch of episodes, and we are always curious about information, so we just decided to ask our, our favorite writers and media members and whoever to come on and, and answer our questions. So we haven't made a dime off. We, we sort of love the freedom of doing what we want and talking to who we want, and people seem to, uh, to really like it. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about doing a podcast is that the number of people you can reach, and I think what we really... The reason I started is in L.A., you know, you know, you live out here. It's a professional sports town. You don't get yep. a whole lot of college talk on especially local radio. So it's like, heck, you know, you could do a podcast and create your own. Now we're getting questions from, you know, China and all, I mean, all yep. of the And I saw on your podcast, too, you'd, you'd get a lot of voicemail questions and get them from Australia and out of the country. I mean, that's kind of fulfilling to know that you're reaching people like that are not even in the country. Yeah, and it's crazy because people love college football for whatever reason they they find themselves all over the world but with the internet you can watch a lot of stuff legally or illegally i'm told um and you can you can download podcasts you can read anything you want and people it, it's so easy now to stay connected you're interested in and even if you can only see espn for example and they're only going to talk about say florida and oklahoma and usc you can find podcasts that'll talk about anything. I mean, we have guys on that are ACC experts or talk about Minnesota football, and we just love college football so much. We're just interested in soaking up anything and everything. So people seem to respond to the fact that, you know, we're not just going to talk about the major teams, and we're just college football. So, yeah, it really blows our mind that people, I mean, we've had Spain and Chile and Japan and they say we are their connection to college football, which is horribly inadequate. They should find somebody better, but it is, it, is, it, it is, it's an honor. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. It's, the, the, it's, it's funny. When you reach out to different college football fans, I mean, there's some people that will only read newspapers. It's some people that only watch TV. But when, right. you, when you expand to something like the podcast, I and mean, we have so many people that – I mean, there's people that don't want to listen to it. They ask us for transcriptions on uscfootball.com. Can you transcribe the podcast? Uh, no, we talk for an hour. I'm no. not going <laughs> to. You listen to it like a radio show. But there's, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that do enjoy listening to that. And the podcast format is where you, you can just download it. And people say they listen to it at the gym. So it's kind of a fun way for college football fans to get you know fixes on their team or, in your case, like the national college football scene. 
Yeah, and really, college football, even though people talk about how it's the offseason and not much is going on, there's always something going on with college football. So we found in the offseason it's a great time to talk to maybe coaches who certainly have more time during the offseason, or if there's obviously recruiting in February uh, with signing day. But recruiting goes on really all year, especially because you're doing a team-specific podcast. There's always something to talk about there. And there's, there's always sort of breaking stories and people are getting kicked off of teams and people are transferring. So it's really sort of a, a great medium to, uh, to sort of attack ourselves because there's so much to, to still follow even when the season's not going on. Yeah, and obviously USC's offseason has been an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> I don't know if you got to talk much about it on the solid verbal, but man, what have you thought about everything that's gone down so far? Uh, well, we, we had a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of time to talk about USC and actually a lot of time since I went to Oregon, talk about Oregon since that's happened in, you know, January, February, March, around then before SC stole everything, uh, headline wise away. Uh, as far as what I think about USC, I am an Oregon fan. So on a certain level, I like to see things happen poorly to uh, our rivals, but <laughs> uh, I realize how important USC is obviously to the Pac-10 and to West Coast football. So it's been fun for me uh, to see Lane Kiffin be at the crosshairs of everything just because to the outside world, obviously, as you well know, he's a favorite target. But as somebody that lives in Southern California, I, I really like to see, like, for instance, I knew about DeAnthony Thomas for the past. And it's an interesting story to me to see him go to USC amid everything like this. Well, I think he's, he's not there yet, obviously, but... Um, as far as everything about how people sort of perceive everything that's been going on at USC on the national level, uh, which I guess I can speak to doing uh, somewhat of a national podcast, it, it seems like people love it because people love to hate USC. They see, they think, first of all, they don't believe, especially in the South, that football is even played on the West Coast. So as soon as somebody does something really well, like USC has done for the past decade, uh, they, they hate USC, they hate Pete Carroll, uh, especially with everything that went on with uh, the national championship stuff in 2003, 2004. So uh, personally, I think USC will be fine in the long run uh, after all of this, and that's not really going out on a limb. But uh, I think there's going to be some, some years where it's going to be sort of a struggle to, to fill up the Coliseum and to, to retain all of the fans that have been over the years. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But I think there's a kind of if you got to look at it three different ways here. One, I think long term USC is going to be fine. I yep. think medium term is where USC is going to struggle a little bit. Very short term, like this season, I think USC can do really, really well. The two seasons after that, I think there could be a bit of a struggle. But yep. Lane Kiffin's been able to recruit really well. And the, the, the problem is they have a team right now with 70, 71 scholarships, something like that. There's a lot of five star talent on this team. And a lot of the freshmen come in. We've been watching them. They look really good. We don't know. Lane Kiffin hasn't coached a game yet. But if I had to guess, I would guess that this year is going to be really good. You might have two years where you struggle a little bit. And then, you know, down the road, I think they have a chance to do the same thing. What What is the sort of position unit, and I guess I'm sort of turning the tables on you now, yeah. that you are most confident in going forward? I know the defensive line looks to be ridiculous. And, and what do you think is the, you know, the, the key one that has the most questions? I think on uh, wow, I get to get people asking me questions. This is great, Dan. I like this. Uh, I would say I think I agree with you on the defensive line, uh, that side of the ball. But linebackers, you know, the the starters coming back, just not the same kind of depth. The right. the defensive line lost a little bit of depth. I think the running backs too are going to be really special. With uh, you don't need a, there's a lot of receivers and all the three freshman receivers coming in just look absolutely ridiculous. But I think when you combine like the 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 new freshman Dylan Baxter with Alan Bradford and C.J. Gable, and you could throw a Mark Tyler in there. I think that's probably going to be the strongest point on the offensive side of the ball. So I mean, even the quarterbacks, I mean, Mitch Mustaine or, or Matt Barkley, either one of those guys I think could lead this team to a Pac-10 title. So there's a lot of strengths there. I think you got to look at the secondary. Uh, you know, there's some young talent there, but that's where you got to replace the most guys. That's probably the one area where USC is going to have to you know, rely on some of these young guys to come in and play really well right away. Right, and I guess that's good at least. Uh, in the beginning where Lane Kiffin's obviously going to have to rely on a lot of the next few years, given the scholarship limits and, and the transfers that have already happened. So he might as well get used to playing young players now. And I, I can't imagine it's going to be too fun for Monty Kiffin, who's, what, going to be 55 years older than <laughs> the players that he's going to be. I mean, that's that's, that's got to be tough. 
I would think so. He's a, I mean, it's funny. You be around Monty. He's a really nice guy. I mean, he's like almost 70 years old and you walk around, yeah. he's talking with the players. He seems like he's one of the fellas, even though he's, you know, obviously a lot older than everybody. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest hire. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin, it seems like the biggest thing that he brings because he doesn't really bring a championship resume as a head coach is he brings his father and he brings recruiting. And even though the recruiting has I mean, it's been always good at USC the past few years under Pete Carroll. Uh, it's a matter of, to me, I mean, USC had better players on the field than any other team they played last year, and they still lost games that they probably shouldn't have. And I'm Arizona, and well, I mean, Stanford was good, but that Arizona game that was that was sort of brutal. Yeah. So it, it's a matter of can this staff inspire players to play as a team inspire players to stay clean especially with this with the, the new administration will help obviously with with pat hayden and all the compliance people that he's put in but uh there, there's never been a question of talent it's just a matter of maximizing talent getting players to care i it, it's really tough for me to to be confident that lane kiffin is the guy for that you know to make that happen and to, to find the right kinds of four and five star players but uh you certainly give yourself every advantage by putting the best players on the field now, what do you think that Lane Kiffin, is there anything Lane Kiffin can do, maybe that's the better question, to kind of change this image? He obviously has a different personality than Pete Carroll. He's not out there shaking hands and kissing babies. He's more of a business-like kind of guy. He could be a little right. bit of abrasive. I mean, I think that they need a sense of discipline. I think he brings that. He, he's tied up recruiting really well for the class of 2010. He's doing a great job amid all kinds of terrible circumstances for the class of 2011. And you could argue the staff he put together is unparalleled. I mean, he's got some, you know, adding Kennedy Pola there to the mix, even though it was done in a, a strange way and there's lawsuits and stuff going on. The stuff right. that he could control, for the most part, he seems to have done a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know what he can do, though, to change that kind of national perception. I mean, obviously, if he goes out and wins games, that can help. Is there anything he can do to kind of help his image at this point? Uh, I don't know about his image. That, that's been pretty rock solid these past couple of years. But I think the biggest key that we've been able to see over time with new head coaches coming into high-profile situations is he has to have an ability to delegate. He, can't, he has to swallow his pride a little bit. He has to say, I trust you with the running game, or I trust you with the defensive schemes. I trust you calling plays. If he tries to take on too much because – and his abilities. That's why I think things can get tricky. He has to he has to hire the right guys, which it seems like he's he's done in the short term anyway. And he has to to place a lot of power in a different guys. And I think uh, one of the guys that did that really well. Obviously, Pete Carroll called his own defensive plays for a long time, but he did that very well with his with his offense. And he he knew that he didn't have an offensive background, and it seemed like he didn't have his hands too much in too many things. Mike Bellotti obviously gave a ton of power to his offensive coordinators coming from an offensive background, and I think that's why he was able to sustain so much success for so long uh, in the Pac-10. And you see a lot of the times when coaches come into these high-profile situations and and think that they can do everything that's when things start to suffer because you have so many responsibilities as a head coach between recruiting and fundraising and being the, the sort of face of a program. It can take its toll, and I think that can be sort of passed on to the players and the team that, that there's too much going on and active. So if he's able to sort of spread out responsibilities, I think that's probably uh, the best sort of option for him, uh, at least for now. I think that's an excellent point, and I and you could argue we've talked about this on the podcast many times that Pete Carroll in the beginning did the same kind of things that Lane did, where he could recruit well. He brought in a great staff, but over the years, it seemed like Pete Carroll wanted more and more control, and then the, the staff right. members' experience kind of went down. So I think short term, again, I mean, that, unless Lane Kiffin's going to run over everybody, but I don't know if you're going to run over guys like Ed Orgeron and Monty Kiffin and Kennedy Pola and John Baxter, right. the special teams guy. I don't know if he's going to be able to even control everything if he wanted to. So short term, it seems like that's okay. But if he has some success, you start getting rid of those coaches, then I could see, you could probably see USC going down the same path that it did with Pete Carroll. Right. And, and obviously one of the models is Mac Brown. And Mac Brown has figured out his, his role and his responsibilities to, you know, to the centimeter, to the millimeter. He knows who – it's all about retaining coaches that, that are successful, and obviously that, that's been tough for USC over the years. But to, to figure out how to be a CEO of a program and not, and not have your toe in every single pond of – I don't know what that even means, Ryan. I'm, I like I'm that. Just, that's a good I'm one. I'm just babbling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 
you, you know, just to, to figure out the balance of becoming, to, of becoming a CEO, of becoming the head of a program, I think is one of the trickier things, especially with these guys that have, have risen through the ranks of being position coaches, of being coordinators, of having their hand in every film session and every X and every O. Uh, it, that's, I think, the transition. Because obviously Lane Kiffin is, is an extremely hard worker who has put in his time, uh, you know, coaching uh, positions, coaching uh, entire squads. So it, it still is just a matter of him finding where he is the strongest in, in, in placing everybody around him. Now, my uh, fiance went to Tennessee, and I've talked about this before too. I went down there. I was impressed with what he did with the Tennessee offense. And uh, you, yeah. I, I watched it the year before against Florida. They got blown out, and everyone was jumping on Jonathan Crompton about he was terrible. I'm like, well, Philip Fulmer lets him throw on third and 15. That's about it. I don't think you're going to be very successful when you do that. And then I saw exactly. – I saw them play Georgia, and that was probably the best offensive game they played. So maybe it's not a great, you know, a great analogy. But man, they, they it looked a lot like the USC offense. The fullback was getting the ball out of the backfield. They, yep. they threw, and it, it looked really good. And I it was like, then Crompton went from being a bum to being a really good quarterback in the SEC. And so I think USC fans can be a little optimistic. Obviously, it's amazing that he has not coached a game yet at USC. He seems like he's been through so much. He's been here a couple of years or something already. He hasn't even coached a game. So. He still has a lot to prove, but there is, I mean, it does so, seem like there's potential for success there. Yeah, and I think obviously with Lane Kiffin's history with quarterbacks, Matt Barkley's going to, he has to turn the ball over less uh, under Lane Kiffin's offense just because Tim Crompton can cut the interception. Surely uh, Matt Barkley, who seems to be coming in to a sophomore season with a lot higher of a ceiling, uh, he will do more as far as keeping the ball. Uh, on the Trojan side, Stanley Havili is going to do really well, as you know, Tennessee with the, with their fullback. Stanley Havili looks like he's ten times better. Especially, I went to the spring game, and you know, it seemed like he was the MVP uh, just on the on the the, the routes that he was running. So, uh, there's a lot to be excited for with Lane Kiffin and Lane Kiffin's abilities. Uh, once again, it, it's a matter of can Lane Kiffin do it immediately enough to uh, to bring in the the top talent to to sort of get over the lean years. Uh, but in the short term, yeah, I, I think USC people have a lot to be excited uh, about on offense anyway. All right. Well, last couple of things I want to leave you with. I know you got a busy schedule. You've got to get out there. But so I wanted to see uh, projection-wise, uh, people have talked to me a lot about the Pac-10. I'm not sure what to make of the Oregon Ducks. I think they certainly would have been the Pac-10 favorite had Masoli been there, him not being there. Kind of get your thoughts there. Projections for, for what you think for Oregon. You can be objective or not objective, whatever you feel like. And then also just what you think uh, USC is going to do this season. Uh, as far as Oregon, I'm, I, 10 wins seems realistic given the, the speed and strength. And, and Oregon had the number one defense in the Pac-10 last year, and they really didn't lose too much. So I'm pretty confident in Oregon's defense to keep them in a lot of games. Uh, the offense, obviously the big loss of Jeremiah Masoli. But as good as Jeremiah Masoli was on the ground, and I'm sure you watched that, the game on Halloween last year, uh, they didn't really run too much of a balanced offense. He was a shorter guy who really had to roll out to pass, and, and the, the pass was never really a huge option. Receivers were sort of used on the line of scrimmage a lot, whether it was blocking or running bubble screens. So uh, it appears that the new quarterback is going to be Nate Costa, who's a fifth-year junior who has somewhere between 17 and 37 knee surgeries under his belt. So uh, <laughs> I don't not going to have the same speed and burst as Masoli, but he's, he's fast enough that he'll be able to gain six or seven yards on, on those own replays, which is plenty by me. And he will, he will stretch the field in that he's going to be able to, to throw passes over the middle. He's going to be able to throw uh, seam patterns to the tight ends who are, who are quite talented for Oregon, even with the loss of Ed Dixon. He's going to be able to hit receivers in stride, you know, 12, 14 yards uh, away from the line of scrimmage. And that's something that Masoli really didn't do with too much consistency. Oregon was a running team. So there should be more balance on offense, but Oregon does have a tougher road schedule in the Pac-10. And with a new full-time starter at QB, it seems like it will be impossible not to just drop one on the road. Uh, you know, it's tough to win at Cal every year. It's tough to win, obviously, at USC. Uh, so and, and Nate Costa goes to Tennessee as you mentioned, who, I mean, they're not going to be that great this year. They did lose a lot. But when you have that many tough road environments, it is difficult for a new starter to go undefeated. So I look for Oregon to probably go 10-2. and two. I could see them losing to maybe Stanford. I mean, Stanford comes to Eugene. Obviously, going down to USC is, is certainly the toughest game of the season. So they, I could see them losing one or two. 
and uh, still fit winning the Pac-10 or being you know, second place in the Pac-10. Uh, as far as USC, you know, every year the, the first place should be expected with the amount of talent that they have. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not confident that Lane Kiffin can run the table in his first season as a head coach at USC. Uh, but I, I think USC drops one, maybe two games. I think they're both going to be right there, and I think it's probably going to come down to uh, the game in it's either October or early November against Oregon. Uh, the class of the Pac-10 certainly appears to be Oregon State, USC, uh, and uh, Oregon, and with maybe uh, Stanford right there in that, that second tier. So uh, I, I don't think UCLA is there yet. I don't think Washington up top tier of the Pac-10 yet. Certainly they should be a bowl team. So it, it, it really is tough. USC has so much in the way of the running backs. Are, I mean, when you, when you spell Bradford with Dylan Baxter, that could be ridiculous in the way that they use him and the, the young receivers. So there's a lot of weapons for me to think that USC is going to finish anywhere below second uh, just because of the smart, the smart money sets that there's just too much there. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal. Definitely check it out, solidverbal.com. You can, if you want to get your college football fix, they do that podcast twice a week. It's a really good listen. I recommend you go out there and download it and check it out. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We'll definitely have to have you on again in the future, maybe when uh, USC plays Oregon. Yes, uh, it was it was a pleasure coming on. And if really any excuse to, to see not only the Ducks play, Oregon cheerleaders should be down in L.A., and I have not seen them in, in too long. So it's, it's always a pleasure to see uh, anything related to Oregon and anything going down and having a fun time at the Coliseum. I don't know if I want to tell you this, Dan, but one of I'm on a bowling team. On, this is great stuff for the podcast. I'm on a bowling <laughs> league. It's more of a fun league that's at the Lucky Strike over in Torrance. One of sure. the, It's a co-ed league. One of the girls on my team, former head cheerleader for Oregon Ducks. So you should probably come really? out and check it out sometime. Yeah. I Listen, I am a bowling <laughs> fan first and foremost. <laughs> I, I could not come down simply to spend some time with an Oregon cheerleader. So I, I can pick up a 7-10 split in my you know, farthest dream. So, yes, absolutely. Now that now you've made it very enticing. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for joining us. We'll hope to talk to you somewhere down the road. Yes, thank you for having me. All right, everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk with Dan Weber. More questions about the USC football team. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer extraordinaire. So much going on this offseason, Dan. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like, uh, it is, it's a reality TV show that's actually, uh, uh, like on a daily basis. I mean, it's like not a weekly reality TV show, and it's real. I mean, nobody's, you know, setting this up. Basically, you don't know what every day, you know, the next day you think, holy criminy, can, what's going to happen now? And something else happens. And uh, it's an amazing, uh, interesting, uh, interesting ride we're on right now, I'll tell you that. Well, you, uh, we were talking before the show, and I wanted to, maybe you could bring the story up about uh, Lane Kiffin on that bus ride. He, they were doing the New York media tour, which I think was a great thing for Larry Scott and the Pac-10 to do. I think that really helped get the, some of the Pac-10 out there and talk, talk more on a national basis. But maybe share that story with the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I, and I agree with you that uh, going to ESPN and, uh, you know, sitting down with, uh, quote, what some of our posters might think is the enemy, or at least somebody that, you know, is kind of, in bed with some of the other uh, conferences, I think is a great thing. And, uh, you know, the ESPN, if they want any, anything that they love better than attention and promotion and having, you know, the four USC quarterbacks or four Pac-10 quarterbacks there throwing the ball outside the, you know, the, uh, uh, this, uh, you know, ESPN studios and all that, uh, you know, that, that's really good stuff. But on the bus ride today, uh, you've got the entire Pac-10 contingent, you know, you've got the, 
uh, all the head coaches. You've got Larry Scott, the commissioner, has done so many interesting things. And it happens to be the bus ride is, is during the Colin Cowherd show. And Colin is talking to one and only one person on that bus. And the one person he's talking to is Lane Kevin. And I guarantee you, if you you looked around that bus and you see, you know, you got Jim Harbaugh and you got Dennis Erickson, a national championship coach, and you got Mike Riley and all he's done in college football and all those, you know, guys that are on that bus, and there's only one of them that's on ESPN with Colin Coward, and it's Lane Kiffin. And uh, so I just think people have to understand, uh, for better or worse, Lane is in a position uh, where he's become almost this, you know, you can say, uh, you know, superstar, hated or not. Everybody knows who he is. I mean, uh, you got the guys on, uh, you know, pardon the interruption, talking about him. You got Wilbon and Ryan and Mariotti and all his national people. I mean, um, uh, in a way, it's set up perfectly for Lane if Lane makes it happen. He's in a position where he's almost more famous than you could possibly imagine a coach of his age could be. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, for example, Colin was talking to a, a big, uh, uh, Las Vegas odds maker, uh, earlier in the show who has USC. And I think he said USC was like the fourth highest in the over and under with 10 wins. And Colin was like, wow, that's pretty good. And da, da, da. Then he talks to Lane and he's saying, man, you know, I don't see how you can keep it going. And, you know, maybe this year, but whatever. And I'm thinking, if Lane exceeds expectations, uh, that basically nationally it's really hard to have great expectations for USC right now based on last year, losing Carroll, uh, new staff, all the people having think, you know, thought that the sanctions have kicked in and whatever. It almost is set up perfectly you know, for USC and for Lane to exceed the expectations. And those of us, you know, you've been documenting it with the videos and the photos and all that who've watched spring uh, and summer, uh, you know, workouts, this team looks awfully good uh, in terms of focus and athleticism and, and, you know, determination and the way they're working. I'm not sure I've seen uh, a USC team in eight or nine years that's, uh, that's looked like this in the summer. And uh, so I don't know, you know, it's kind of an interesting setup for, for where this all plays out, but, uh, but it's sure there. And the spotlight is on That's That's for certain. I mean, it's not like, you know, this, you know, USC was hit with a lot of, you know, difficult stuff and then just went away and, and uh, you know, is hiding under a rock. Uh, uh, they're coming and finding them. And so uh, you can't ask for anything more than that. If a kid wants to come to USC, People are going to pay attention to you. They're yeah. going to look at you. They're going to follow you. Uh, that's that's certainly been demonstrated here in the last uh, you know last few weeks. Yeah, USC's been out front and center, no question about that. Well, let's, we'll see what happens. We got Pac-10 Media Day tomorrow, so we'll get to you, get some more thoughts on that. Let's some questions, Dan. Uh, Bill okay. wanted to know. He noticed that the state of North Carolina has uh, an, a law pro- prohibiting agents from contacting athletes. And he wanted to know if California had something like that. And he feels that USC would probably not be on probation if, if California did. But from my understanding, it seems like California does have a law. Yeah, I think it does. And I, this is off the top of my head, but I believe it's the Miller-Ayala law. And I think it's a pretty tough law. And I think USC probably missed a gigantic opportunity when it first came out. And I think it was 2006 that uh, Lloyd Lake had uh, – had these, uh, you know, these tapes that they played on uh, HBO Real Sports, uh, you know, where he was talking to Reggie's stepdad, where they were talking about, you know, living up to some kind of a deal or not living up to some kind of a deal. And I know I've talked to some really serious legal people who think that at that moment, USC should have entered the fray and said, uh, uh, because of the Miller Ayala law and because of USC's uh, interest in investigating this, should have really pursued every angle that they could have found, uh, every way that uh, whatever Lloyd Lake had connected, uh, you know, to and through the the uh, the law in California, and however they could have used that law, and however they could have used the legal authorities, I think if USC would have gone really hard right then 
say, we want to listen to the tapes. The tapes uh, really affect us. They affect this particular law. Uh, USC could have gotten on the side of the angels, I think. They could have gotten on the, on the side that says, we're going to do the NCAA's work for it. You know, we believe that we need to pursue this. It doesn't look like, well, obviously they didn't do that part of it. Uh, but uh, I think that was probably the fatal mistake, the first and the fatal mistake. You know, all the sloppiness and all, maybe not having enough people in compliance and all that. That could have been overcome at that point in time if USC would have said, here's the California law. We want to listen to those tapes. We want to find out if those are going to be admissible in court. Is there anything actionable here? Uh, from what I understand now, it's too late. You know, statute of limitations is well past uh, you know, any, uh, any effect in this case and that there's nothing, you know, USC could do. Uh, I mean, obviously what if you'd have had, you know, if the free group were acting as it is now or, or constituted the way it is now and you'd have put them on the case and said, go, you know, let's get this, you know, worked out and figured out here. I think everything in this whole NCA case would have, would have, would have flipped around, but, but USC, I think had the opportunity with the California law and never took it. And, uh, and, in a way, that was sort of the fatal mistake, I, I believe. All right. Well, thanks, Bill, for that question. And uh, let's talk about some football, Dan. What do you think? We got we had a couple of questions before in the podcast. Instead of talking about sanctions and coaching changes, all that stuff, let's talk a little football. Uh, T- well, it can't come soon enough. No. Absolutely cannot come soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, TD wanted to know, he wanted to get your comments, and I can chime in too if you want, on Patrick Hall. Uh, moving to running back, it appears that USC is stuck, stacked at running back, and I definitely think that they, you know they have a lot of talent there. Uh, and it would be difficult for Hall to pass over Bradford and Gable this year. Do you think next year he'd compete with Tyler McNeil, Baxter, and Morgan? And uh, it, to be fair, just I mean, out there right now, Patrick Hall has been doing when they've had eleven on eleven, he's been playing running back. Then when they go to like seven on seven and one on ones. He switches over to corner, so he just seems to be getting as many reps as possible. But maybe get your thoughts on Patrick Hall and where he'll be playing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and with his, uh, you know, knee injury and all of that, I, I guess what you don't know for sure is uh, there are some motions and some movements and that that maybe you can um, uh, adjust to the surgery he's had or the particular kind of injury. And I wish I knew more exactly, and maybe that's to some extent what Patrick is finding out is there may be a way that, for example, you could, uh, uh, you know, be more like a hundred percent physically if you're running the ball where you have control of your movements and you moving more in, uh, you know, a, a certain way, whereas a quick uh, lateral uh, movements, uh, a number of them say that a, a secondary guy might have to make uh, might be a little more difficult with his size and his athleticism. You know, I kind of like the looks of him uh, running the football. And uh, let's say because of that injury, um, you know, this is, you know, he takes this year off. Uh, You know, he's a practice player, obviously. uh, But I I wouldn't think he'd want him to even think about, you know, being on the field offensively this year. But, uh, you know, when you lose, uh, you know, Bradford and Gable, you've got uh, uh, Mark Tyler coming, you know, back who has been prone to some injuries and things like that. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I, I kind of like the idea, and I think uh, I, I just let it play out and see where it goes. But uh, but Patrick Hall's a, an impressive-looking athlete, and we haven't really ever seen him where we thought he was 100%. But uh, but I like I like the idea. I think it's a smart thing to do for Patrick and, and for USC. Uh, so uh, I'd like to see it play out and see where it goes. Um, he had a follow-up question on Mark Tyler in that situation. And just to let people know, um, there were some rumors going around that Mark Tyler was going to transfer out. I ended up getting a hold of him late on, I think it was Monday night, and he told me that he was staying. He wasn't going anywhere. He's actually a, a recent father. He had a kid very recently. So at least as of right, right now, he said he's not going anywhere. Um, but just kind of get your thoughts on uh, Mark Tyler and what you think his situation is. Yeah, I think uh, at this late date, you would think, and I, I'm sure there's maybe a place or so where it would make sense if you were just a true running back and they just brought you in and dropped you into the lineup, maybe you could uh, make that switch. But uh, but I think the players at this point know, you know that they might be uh, you know, in the middle of a, of a couple of years here that could be really pretty darn good, no matter you know, you know 
what the sanctions eventually turn out, you know, to be. Um, I also think if I'm Mark Tyler and I'm thinking about playing at the next level, uh, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, next year's fullback. Uh, maybe this year he gets to play some fullback. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard, haven't talked to anybody about that. Obviously, USC hasn't had a running back coach. Uh, to talk to about that, and I think that's the kind of thing you would, you know, see what Mark thinks. But when you look at his skill set, and you look at his size, and you look at his flexibility and ability to catch the ball, and uh, uh, I like the idea of Mark, um, you know, being able to maybe be the next, uh, you know, starting fullback uh, uh, next year. Uh, and so uh, I think if I were Mark Tyler and wanted to play in the NFL and, you know, uh, saying I'm going to get past this, uh, you know, issue with my foot and ankle and all of that, uh, uh, I might like to come back this year and, and see if I could, you know, play both positions. And then next year, you know, it's wide open. You know, they're going to need a big running back next year and they're going to need a fullback next year. And, and Mark could be either of those, which, uh, I think puts him in pretty good stead. So, uh, uh, you know, I like the way that plays out as well uh, uh, with, uh, you know, with the departure of DJ Sheenade. I think, uh, uh, you know, Mark's in a pretty good position, actually. Yeah, we'll have to watch that through fall camp. Now you knew, you know, Kennedy Pola coming in there too. So there'll be, could be some mix-ups. Who knows? We'll have to see what happens with all that. we got a question. I think you will oh. see some mixing and matching. I, I, I like that. I think USC, because of the, you know, the scholarship limitations and the kind of athletes that they recruit, I don't think that should be a surprise at all. I think uh, basically they're recruiting kids with the ability to play a couple of spots, and they're going to have a, a need uh, to play uh, maybe uh, some kids in a couple of different spots. So I think it all works out. You know, uh, you know it all makes sense. Uh, so I, and I don't think it's a negative in any way. And I think for a kid looking at the NFL who's in that kind of in-between size range where he could go up a little bit to play fullback and he could, you know, stay where he is and, and play running back in the NFL like a Mark Tyler with his athletic ability, um, I think it's a perfect situation. You give yourself more opportunity, you know, to be drafted uh, and more chance to play uh, next year, you know, even this year. So uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a win-win both ways that you go with Mark Tyler. Great points. All right. Uh, next one up, Dan, is uh, Donald in Florida. He's talking about the uh, players' numbers, and USC released what the freshmen would be wearing, what numbers the guys were coming in. Still no one wearing number 55. No one's got that number one jersey. Uh, Donald wants to know, are there any players that look like they want to take over number 55 or number one? Uh, wide receivers, I would think, are, are a couple of locks in this case. Linebacker and crew, I'm not sure. So he just wanted to kind of, you know, obviously no one's got the numbers recently. You know, the the incoming freshmen, none of those freshmen have 55 or number one. What do you think down the road? Anyone on this current team? Could a guy like a T.J. Bryant or Florida? I'll be really honest here. I hope nobody wants to take over any number. Uh, I thought that got a little bit past the point of, of, of unattractiveness in terms of, I love it that USC is old school, no names on the back of the jerseys. I like it even better if uh, if the numbers thing doesn't even occur to people. I, I like it if kids just want to go out and play football. Give me a number. I'm fine with that number. Heck, all I did was play high school football. Who cares what my number was? You know, they'll remember my number at USC. Uh if somebody wants to, for example, I thought giving Mike Williams the number one was a genius move. I mean, I think that paid off in so many ways, you know, for a freshman, sophomore, that that was all you got out of Mike Williams. Uh, but you at least got those two years and probably did help, you know, maybe raise his level to where he could have, you know, he could be. And I think people thought he could be. But I, I think the idea of trying to project and promise and do all that, I, I, I would I would play that down. My, that's my personal sense of it. I wouldn't make that a big feature in the recruiting. And uh, if, you know, if a kid ends up with a number that people, you know, determine is really special, my feeling would be make whatever number you're wearing special because you're wearing it in the way you play and make them remember that number and, and don't have this sense of, uh, you know, any sort of entitlement to a number that that's just me. Um, <laughs> that's where I am gotcha. on that one. 
Uh, great points, Dan. Well, hey, Dan, we appreciate it. We're going to talk to you tomorrow down there at Pac-10 Media Day. Maybe we'll do a little special podcast episode from down there, just checking what's hey, going on. That'll be fun. I, it's interesting. I don't think – I was thinking – with day one and two on this tour, is the Pac-10, you know, kind of in any danger of kind of scooping itself? You know, that by day three, when they get back to uh, Pasadena, uh, they won't have anything left to say. I don't get the sense of that at all, uh, you know, because there's so much happening with the Pac-10, the new, you know, logos and the, how they're going to schedule with 12 teams and the new, you know, you, you've been posting them, the uh, new, uh, you know, football trailer, and there's a Pac-10 conference trailer and all kinds of stuff that's really kind of neat. There's so much probably going on with the Pac-10, maybe for the first time that we can remember, that they've got enough stuff to talk about that they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, that we're, uh, we're going to run out of things to say. So uh, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. I am, too. They're not sitting on their hands, Dan, which was something that happened for years. So now they're at least mixing it up. They might make some wrong decisions. They might make some right decisions. But they're making decisions, and they're doing things, and I'm really happy for that. And they're forcing people to react, react and respond to them. You know, the PAC, anybody who says the move to try to make it a Pac-16 and bring in the Texas schools was, was a mistake is absolutely wrong. You force the, uh, you know, all the powers that be in, in televising college football to organize against the Pac-10 and the threat of the Pac-10. And that's something that's never happened before. And I like it, you know, maybe, you, you know, you don't want to scare them to death the way USC did, you know, with, I think, honestly, the 34-game the streak and then the winning three Heisman trophies in four years probably scared the rest of the country to death. USC's probably paying for that a little bit with these NCAA sanctions. I know they would ever admit that they're connected, but they were. Uh, but you don't want to scare them to death, but what you want them to do is to say, hey, you know, we probably shouldn't think about college football in America without thinking about the Pac-10. The Pac-10's got some special stuff going, and uh, Pac-10 has to keep that pressure on itself, too. They have to keep pressure on these schools that you got to keep trying. you got to be special. you got to keep doing things. you got to, you know, maybe upgrade your stadiums. you got to just keep working at it. And, uh, and I think this year will probably be one of those years where that pays off because the Pac-10 can be pretty darn good. Yeah, well, Dan, thank you very much. Thanks to all of our guests. We'll be back. This is the Peristyle Podcast. Talking to you next week all about USC football. Fall camp will just be starting. We'll get to all the information what's going on down at fall camp. Stay tuned next week, and we'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.